Feels a bit strange being here. Um, it's been uh, almost six. Oh, do we need to take something? Take something off. As I was saying, it seems a bit strange being here. It's almost six months since I've been in this sanctuary. As, and if I haven't had an opportunity as yet this morning, I'd like to say hello to everyone. It's, it's good to be back. As I was thinking of preparing for this morning and coming in, the words of David from Psalm 122 came to me when David said, I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And truly, it's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. It's unusual circumstances with our masks and our visors, but it's good to be here in God's house. Over the last six months, we've had quite a few changes in our circumstances, haven't we? Our whole life seems to be turned upside down and... Things have changed from day to day. But one thing we can be very sure of, our God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. So whatever changes we're going through, he remains the same. So we can continue to lean on him, to trust in him, because our God is faithful. We can continue in the present, trust in him. And as we go forward into the future, we can go forward with confidence. Because as he says, I will never leave you, neither will I forsake you. So take heart. Whatever the situation seems out there, God is in control. That's good to know, isn't it? God is in control. Okay. What am I going to speak on today? I've, good, I've had a good long while to prepare because Paul has given me quite, quite a long while running to prepare for this morning. First of all, let me read three verses from Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. We're not going to stay in Ephesians, we're going to move around. But wherever we go, we're going to go to God's Word. And he's going to speak to us. And as he speaks to us, let's respond positively to what he has to say. First of all, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul's encouraging the Ephesian Christians, but also warning them. He tells them, be very careful. And what he says to them, he also says to us. 
as Christians. Be very careful then how you live. As Christians it's important how we live, isn't it? And he says not as unwise, but as wise. Nothing worse than an unwise Christian. In a sense, I don't know if you know this word, it's an oxymoron. <laughs> it's a self-contradictory statement. Christians should never be unwise. There should be anything as an unwise Christian. He says, be very careful how you live. And he says, make the most of every opportunity. What opportunity? The opportunity to live wisely. Why? Because the days are evil. The more evil the days get, the more important it is for us as Christians to live wisely. Would you say so? Yes. And the days are evil. Then Paul goes on, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And what is the Lord's will? Well, we could take the rest of the year speaking about that, but in this context, the Lord's will is that we live wisely. That's what he wants from us. So that's what we're going to have a look at today. We're going to have a look at what it means to live wisely, and also we're going to touch briefly on what it is to be foolish. So it's important to balance the two hours. So we're going to have a look at living foolishly and living wisely. We're going to have a look at the contrast and see how significant it is for us as Christians to live wisely. You're probably all familiar with this saying. It comes from Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I guess most of us are familiar with that. The fool says in his or her heart, there is no God. And who is the fool? The one who deliberately chooses to neither acknowledge God or have any regard for his word. That's the fool. It's foolishness to disregard God and have no regard for his word. And look at this fool. He makes this announcement. He makes this assertion. On the basis of what? His limited knowledge of God and his refusal to accept the truth. The truth about God. He says, there is no God. Let's turn to Romans 1, 18 to 20. from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness 
Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men and women are without excuse. Why does the fool say, there is no God? Since what may be known about God has been made plain. Why? Because God has made it plain through his creation. You understand that, don't you? The creation is a testimony to the God who created. So those who say there is no God are fools. If anybody says to you there is no evidence for God, tell them on the contrary, everything is evidence for God. Everything that we see is God's creation and it's testimony to the God who created it. But who are these people that Paul is speaking about? They are men or people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress, they stop, they prevent, they restrain the truth about God from being known and from becoming effective in their lives. By their wickedness and because of their wickedness. Because men are wicked, they deny the existence of God. But Paul says they have no excuse. And it's important because this is, uh, relates to our evangelism when we share our faith with people. Sometimes we think that the reason people can't accept what we say and become Christians is because they don't understand what we're saying. But on the contrary, quite often, the reason people don't accept what we say and become Christian is because they do understand what we're saying and they understand the implications of what we're saying. Because if there is a God, then it means we are accountable to that God. We're answerable to that God. And if Jesus is Lord, then he must be Lord of my life. So the fool says, there is no God. That's as intelligent as a man sitting in the midst of a fire, saying, if I say there is no fire, I won't get burnt. That man's a fool. And the man who says, the person who says there is no God, that person is a fool. Since what may be known about God has been made plain to everyone through his creation. God has made his invisible qualities plain to them. His eternal power and his divine nature. They are clearly seen and clearly understood from what God has made. The world he has created. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands.
Isn't it interesting? Some people refused to acknowledge God. But it's the heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim his handiwork. So Paul says that men, people who deny the existence of God are without excuse. Those who say there is no God are and have become fools. The fool says in his heart there is no God. But not only does the fool say in his heart there is no God, the fool lives as if there is no God. He does not acknowledge God and he does not give any attention to God's word. And it's a choice that he makes. Foolishness is a lifestyle choice. It's not something that happens to me. It's something that I choose. I choose to disregard God and his word. So I choose to be a fool and to live foolishness. If that is what I do. Foolishness is an attitude of the heart. Because the fool says in his heart. It's internalised. He's come to that conclusion. He's come to that decision. That's what he's chosen. He says, there is no God. It's an attitude of the heart. Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. So rather than fearing the Lord... And embracing his discipline, the fool despises the Lord by refusing his wisdom and discipline. That's the choice that they make. Proverbs 10.21 The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment or lack of wisdom. You see, death is the inevitable consequence for those who choose to live foolishness, foolishly, as if there is no God. Proverbs 14.7 Stay away from a foolish man or woman, for you will not find knowledge on his or her lips. In other words, do not engage or be involved in the foolishness of people. Do not receive their words or their foolish advice. It doesn't say ignore them or don't relate to them. It says don't take part in their foolishness or receive their foolish advice. We're in the world, so we must deal with people. We must ignore people and disregard them. But we don't have to take part in their foolishness or receive their foolish words and advice. Is this making sense? God wants us to live wisely, not foolishly. 
So we're going to turn to wisdom now. Enough of this foolishness. <laughs> Let's turn to wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to see and to understand from God's perspective and to decide and act according to God's purpose. Those who are wise think as God thinks, they speak as God speaks, and they act as God acts. Just as foolishness is a lifestyle choice, also wisdom is a lifestyle choice. We must choose to live wisely. We have a choice to make. We can either live wisely or foolishly. Psalm 111.10 Also this comes in Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes people have a problem with the idea of the fear of the Lord. All it means is reverence for God. Love for him and obedience to him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But not only is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the continuation of wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is the completion of wisdom. Those who are wise, those who fear the Lord, begin in wisdom, continue in wisdom, and are completed in wisdom. So it's wise to fear the Lord, isn't it? Wisdom acknowledges God, his person, his character, and his rule. And where do we find this wisdom? We find the wisdom of God primarily in his written word. David says in Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Psalm 119, 98 to 100. The psalmist says, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Your commands. I have not more insight than all my teachers. For I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders. For I obey your precepts. If you want wisdom, you'll find it here. This is a book of wisdom. If you find yourself in this book, you'll grow in wisdom. God's written word is the primary source of God's wisdom. That's why we're encouraged to read, to study and to mediate, meditate on God's word. Because there we find God's wisdom. Let's go to James 1. Chapter 1.
James says, If any of you lack wisdom, he or she should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him, given to her. God is the source of wisdom. And James says that we should ask God for wisdom. Why? He gives generously to all without finding fault. There's no need, no reason for any of us to lack wisdom since God gives generously to all. That's good, isn't it? They're not special people who can be wise and others not. God gives generously to all. We all have the opportunity to be wise in God. In fact, God invites us. James gives the sense that God is inviting us to come and ask. Don't be shy. (laughs) God is inviting us to ask for his wisdom. A Christian should be known for their wisdom. Foolishness is not a virtue. Not only does God give generously and to all, he gives without finding fault. There are no negative implications or outcomes in asking God for wisdom. There's nothing negative about it. You know, sometimes someone may offer you something or you may ask someone for something and at the end of it you think, oh, I wish I hadn't asked them. Either what they've given you isn't really what you expected or their attitude in giving is not really what you expected and you think, oh, I shouldn't really have asked that person for that thing. But not with God. He gives without finding fault. There's nothing negative about God's giving. He gives generously and he gives to all and he gives freely. As I was preparing, it reminded me of the story of Solomon. You know that story when he asked God for wisdom in 1, 1 Kings 3, 5. He's, God says to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon replies, give your servant a discerning or a wise heart to govern your people. And 1 Kings 3.10 says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. That is, for wisdom. God is pleased when we go to him and ask for wisdom. He'll never turn us away. He's always inviting us. And the scripture says that he was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So choose wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Because if you do, you know that it pleases him. That's good to know, isn't it? God is pleased to give us his wisdom. So he says, ask. So where does this wisdom come from? We've seen that we find God's wisdom in the scripture. But James says, James 3.17. Let's have a look at that. Verse 
James 2. We're going to start at verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So James says wisdom comes from heaven. Why? Because that's where God dwells. Wisdom comes from God, comes from heaven, it comes from above. And what does this wisdom consist of? It's good to know what it is and where it comes from. But what does it consist of? God's wisdom. James tells us. God's wisdom, the wisdom that comes from heaven, is first of all pure. It's unmixed. It's untainted. It's not corrupted. It's not mixed with the wisdom of this world. Neither is it mixed with satanic wisdom. God's wisdom is first of all pure. Then it's peace loving. It brings harmony between people. Wherever you find God's wisdom operating, you'll find harmony. Amen? Amen. Then God's wisdom is considerate. It's always thoughtful towards others. It's submissive. It's meek towards others and obedient towards God. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's compassionate towards others and also beneficial to others and to ourselves. God's wisdom always brings good things, good fruit. Nothing negative. It's also impartial and sincere. God's wisdom has no favourites. God's wisdom does not prefer one above another. God's wisdom always treats all well. And it's sincere. It's without pretense or without deceit. It's transparent. Where God's wisdom operates, it always operates transparently. There are no hidden motives, no ulterior motives. God's wisdom is without pretense or without deceit. God's wisdom, the wisdom that comes from heaven, has nothing to do with intellectual ability. It's not how much I know or what I know. Nothing to do with that. You don't have to be an intellectual sort of person to operate in God's wisdom. James says it's for all. Each of us can partake in and of God's wisdom. But I don't know if you've noticed that we've been reading through that verse, verse 17. It tells us something about God's wisdom. 
something interesting, which I only realised as I was reading through it, as I was preparing. First of all, we see that God's wisdom is not a set of abstract principles. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Not a list of knowledge. God's wisdom isn't so much about what we know. God's wisdom is who we are. Did you notice that? Speaking about God's wisdom in that verse, it seems that God's wisdom has the characteristics of a person. That verse 17 is describing a person. Have you noticed that? It's not a set of principles, things to do and don't do. It's, it's, it's personalised. And that's not surprising, isn't it? Because God's wisdom personifies the character of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. Wisdom, in a sense, is a person. Wisdom is a character. It's not a tick box. Not a set of principles. Wisdom is who I am. Wisdom means I portray the character of Christ. Wisdom always conforms to and informs my character and behaviour. Wise people live in a certain way. It's not that I say certain things and know certain things, necessarily. It's the, way, it's the way they live. Wisdom is known by its behaviour. You can tell whether someone is wise or not according to how they live. You see that? Not according to what they know. It's according to how they live. Wise people live in a particular way. And that's how wisdom is recognised. Wisdom conforms my behaviour and informs my behaviour to the character of Christ. Also, wisdom is always beneficial to both those who receive it and to those to whom it is applied. Wisdom always brings benefit. Those who live wisely... And those who live with wise people, there are always benefits accrued. Wisdom always does good. So get wisdom. That's what the Bible tells us. Get wisdom. Get understanding. It's good for us, and it's good for others. Those whom we relate to and with. It's good to be with wise people, isn't it? You always gain something. It always makes you feel good. And it's not just an intellectual thing. That's not what I'm talking about. It's good to be in the presence of someone who's wise. Someone who knows how to live properly. And by God's grace, it will rub off. The Bible says it, doesn't it? Be with wise people. It makes us become wise. Something rubs up with us. So always choose to be with wise people. It's not always possible, but if you have the chance and the opportunity, always choose to be with wise people, and something will rub off onto you. You also will become wise. There's a lot to wisdom, isn't there? There's a lot, far more to it than I can go into this morning. But it's amazing, when you go to the scriptures, 
how much you can gain and how much it can speak to you. Sometimes you have just like you start with one verse, and as you go into that verse, it suddenly unfolds and takes you to other scriptures and other scriptures, and then God begins to speak to you, and you begin to understand His purpose and His plan for yourself. God speaks to us through His Word. God shows us His plan and His purpose for our lives. He shows us how to be wise, how to live wisely. And I pray, God, that will be each of us, our desire this morning. That we will desire the wisdom of God. We'll go to his word. We'll spend time with wise people. And as we do that, our lives will be transformed. That's what we want, isn't it? To live transformed lives. And how else will we do that without God's word, God's spirit, inputting into our lives? So let's sum up. What have we seen? We've seen what wisdom is, where wisdom comes from. Now we're going to have a look at what are the benefits of wisdom? Everything good that God gives us always has benefits, doesn't it? Let me read you a quote regarding the benefits of wisdom. One of God's desires for mankind is that people learn and develop practical wisdom. Wisdom is always practical. There's always a purpose for wisdom. Wisdom never sits on a shelf and gathers dust. Wisdom is always applied. Wisdom is lived. Wisdom is experienced. So it's practical. And why does God give his wisdom? So that we might live intelligently and honestly. And in this way our lives will be useful, bringing pleasure to God and benefit to others and to ourselves. These are the benefits of wisdom. God gives his wisdom to us so that we might live intelligently and honestly so that our lives will be useful. Useful to us, useful to others. So that we might bring pleasure to God and so that we might bring benefit to others and to ourselves. Those are some of the benefits of wisdom. And in closing, let's have a look at the purpose of wisdom. We'll find that at the beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs is the book of wisdom, isn't it? So if you want to know about wisdom, you'll find much of that in Proverbs. What is the purpose of wisdom? Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline. That's necessary nowadays, isn't it? For understanding words of insight. 
for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get the guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So this morning, we're not to be of those who the scripture calls fools. Let's be those who God calls wise. So let's finish where we started. Let's go back to Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. And I'm going to close with this. This is God's word to us today. If nothing else, let's take this scripture away with us. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And what is the Lord's will? So that you may live wisely. So, choose wisdom. God bless you all. Amen. Amen.